Brandon Day of Bless You Boys joins us to talk to the Detroit Tigers. We talk about the fact that everybody in that 2014 rotation is a World Series now. We talk about the farm system. We talk about the current team, Daz Cameron, everybody, etc. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. It wouldn't be a Tigers podcast if we didn't start out with the, probably the biggest Tiger lead of the entire offseason so far. Brandon, how sad are you at the fact that every single person in that Tigers rotation has a World Series ring now? <laughs> uh, I would have been really sad if he told me kind of back in the day, but um, as it happens, like at this point, I, you know, I'm jaded. I'm depressed, and um, actually rooting for those guys to get the rings has been like the only fun part <laughs> of, the, of the past couple of years. The only really fun part. So I'm not I'm not the one to be too bitter about it. Um, it w- it would really suck if like you know some of these guys if Justin Verlander had been stuck here his whole career never won a ring I would have hated that. So I'm all right with it. I th- you know maybe I'm just getting old and I've been writing about baseball too long. But I start to root for players as much as teams and. Um, all those guys are good guys. Um, it was it was cool to see Anibal Sanchez, especially um, after kind of, you know, looking like his career was going to be over. Um, although, yes, of course, that is also an indictment of the Tigers coaching staff. <laughs> <laughs> He's a weird one, too, because he kind of had like a revitalization with the Braves last year. And then he gets this chance. Yep. He's one of those guys who just kind of got caught by the home run revolution. You know, he was a big sinker ball guy, sinker slider guy. And um, as he lost velocity... You know, he just had to nibble too much to survive because all these guys were just going down and golfing the ball out on him. And, um, yeah, the Tigers just couldn't figure it out. Um, I wrote about it. Hey, ditch your sinker. Use your four-seamer. <laughs> and uh, he did that and kind of developed the cutter as well, which, which is the other part that helped him because his slider was just was just not working out for him anymore either. So, yeah, he just, you know, he got in shape again and, and changed his pitch mix, and uh, and that worked out. But, yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating as hell. When someone is, you know, I mean, I'm okay at this, but like, you know, when you can look at fan graphs and be like, oh, maybe he should just stop throwing this pitch because it's getting killed. Like, did anybody ever suggest this to the guy? I don't know. Explain to me why on this modern Hall of Fame ballot, why Lou Whitaker should be Hall of Famer. I think the first, I mean, the most basic reason is that if you look at, you know, his career war rankings, just to put it in simple war terms, um, he definitely belongs in there. You know, the, there are three or four um, career second basemen who are in the Hall of Fame who are below him in terms of career war. Um, I, I think there's a pretty good argument to be made that he was a more valuable player than Alan Trammell was um, and, and kept his value deeper into his career. Um, Lou Whitaker always had a little bit more power. Um, he, he was sort of like to, I don't even know who I'd compare Alan Trammell to because Alan Trammell was smooth, but Lou Whitaker was one of those those players who just made it look really easy um, and never really never really said much. You know, wasn't wasn't a guy who would talk to the media very much. And, you know, his teammates, I think, kind of just took that to heart and, you know, and just kind of stood in for him whenever that was required. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was just he was just an all around, you know, fantastic player who did everything well and did it all for a really long time. Like, I wouldn't put him, you know, like in the you know top 50 greatest players of all time. Um, I wouldn't say that we've been, you know like feeling like it's this super egregious wrong, but he definitely belongs in there. And I think, you know, he and Trammell together are a pretty historic double play combination, like maybe the best ever, certainly the, you know, the combination that did it best the longest, 
um, and were such a huge part of that 84 team. And, you know, they're just an iconic pair. And I remember even as a kid, like looking over at like Ryan Sandberg and comparing statistics and stuff like that. And, you know, Lou Whitaker matched up with him and beat him, you know, a lot of years. Um, So it was kind of uh, it was kind of always in our mind that, you know, he's a guy who should get in. And when Trammell finally got in, um, you know, I don't think a lot of us necessarily thought that was all going to happen. And once Trammell and, and Morris got in there, that was sort of the push. And obviously, Alan Trammell in his um, in his you know speech and all that, and throughout the whole you know year long festivities of getting inducted, you know, really really made the push. And I think in the end, that's going to that created a little bit of publicity that Lou Whitaker, Whitaker would never generate himself, just because he's just a very retiring, you know, kind of quiet man. And um, yeah, so I, I think it's, I feel pretty confident it's going to happen. And I think, honestly, if you look at the, if you just break down the career numbers, it's, it's, he's not like, you know, yeah, like I said, he's not like an absolute lock, but um, compared to a lot of other guys who are in there, he's, he's definitely a guy who belongs um, pretty obviously. So, yeah, I think he's, uh, I think he's got a really good shot. I'm, I'm expecting this and I probably shouldn't, but <laughs> I kind of am. All right, so Brandon, take us through um, this season. I know we talked about this pre-show. The Tigers finished 48 and 114. Out lost the Orioles by seven games. Take us through the pain of a Tigers fan uh, during a season like this. Yeah, I mean, I think where I'll start is it, it helps to remember now that it's, um, you know, the Tigers are five seasons now from making the playoffs. Um and I think because you know they they retooled and kind of went for it again in 2016 um, and 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 did a few. I mean, if you're going to to go for it again in that situation, you're going to do some things that look long term foolish. But they they really kind of outdid themselves um, while Mike Illich was still alive. And as a result, you know, it kind of kept us hanging on. I think longer than we had to. Like I think we're really only like two years into the fan base. Really, like especially like the the, the kind of more casual fan really kind of absorbing and coming to terms with the fact that we're just not, you know, we're just not any good anymore and are a long way from being good again. Um, so I think it took some time. And I really think like this, this preseason was when, you know, heading into the spring training, when people, you know, were, were looking for those optimistic takes um, from the beat writers and everywhere and not finding them at, at all anywhere where it all sort of hit the fan base that like, there's no reason to have, you know, have any real expectations for this season. You know, you're just hoping that they do well in the draft and can maybe develop a few people um, at the major league level and, and on the farm. And I mean, my my fundamental impression of this season is just how boring it was. Um, it, it was just really boring. You know, it was really hard to cover. Um, it wasn't that thing where you have like one or two guys who are playing great, you know, and everybody else is just kind of sucking it up. It was, you know, Matt Boyd kind of had his, you know, first half breakout and then faded um, Spencer Turnbull, you know, kind of came on, but you know, other than that, there just really wasn't even anything to hang our hat on. You know, Shane Green had a great season as, as closer um, in the first half. We actually did have um, some, some save opportunities and he was able to convert all of them um, all the way up. I think other than one up until the time he was traded. So, you know, it was just that it was just such a, a binary sort of thing, which where like, you know, one game per series, the Tigers would be in the, in the series or in the game. I mean, and probably would pull it out if they had the lead because they had that going on. And the rest of the time, there wasn't really even anything to really pay attention to. Um, yeah, there just wasn't that much to watch. You know, there, there weren't too many um, prospects called up. Obviously, our, our our top prospects are still, you know, maybe heading 2020 at some point. Um, I think a lot of them will be up next season. But we didn't really even have too many, um, you know, really interesting guys up this season until you got to August and September. So, 
I mean, it was a slog. You know, the Tigers had this knack for coming out like the first two weeks of the season and winning a whole bunch of games and getting people excited. And they kind of did that. But this this season, it faded faster than it has in, in seasons past. And, you know, I mean, the, the park was pretty empty um, most of the season. So it's just, you know, it's just been grim. It was just a really long, uh, long season that didn't even really have the up and downs to sort of toy with your emotions. It was just sort of like, a, well, there's nothing on TV, so let's watch the Tigers <laughs> for a lot of people, I think. <laughs> I think this season for those of us covering it and no one wants to hear, you know, me complain about it, but yeah, it's just, um, you know, a lot of us at the site and, you know, other people I talk to who do Tigers podcasts or write about the Tigers on other formats, you know, that we would all be pretty excited, you know, to, to be in an actual rebuild where it felt like, you know, the front office had a strategy, um, you know, had, had some things that was working on, was aggressively pursuing players that they liked, even if they were wrong, but it's just been really passive. Um, as compared to, you know, people always want to drag it back to, oh, the Astros, you know, rebuild or the Cubs rebuild. And it's so far divorced from from both the circumstances those two, those two teams went through and, and just in time, you know, that, yeah, it hasn't even really been that exciting. Like, we're, I, I'm hoping that next year with um, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, some of those guys getting in close proximity to the, to the majors that will finally at least have that, that stuff to kind of um, sink our teeth into. Because I covered the minor leagues. Um, for the for bless you boys pretty much all season long and that was just way more way more compelling way more interesting than than having to write about the tigers at all so let's let's go ahead and jump into the positional situations give me one word to describe the tigers current catching situation and why replacement level <laughs> <laughs> shout out to shout out to jake rogers by the way canyon high school where i actually live <laughs> Oh, right on. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Jake Rogers. I think he's he's going to need more time to hit. Um, he's got a lot of swing and miss in his game, and he does have some some swing flaws. Um, he's an interesting case because he, coming from the Astros, he had sort of like the, the type of modern approach, or at least the home run era approach, that we've been kind of screaming at the Tigers for being like the, the complete antithesis of. You know, we're still in Lloyd McKend- McClendon lane where, you know, they want you to play pepper. They want you to use the whole field. They want to see line drives. They don't want to see guys, you know, leaning back and trying to pull thing, pull the ball in the air. Um, and Jake Rogers came to us with that approach. And so maybe, and, and probably had, is one of those guys that maybe had too much of that approach a little bit. Um, so maybe he's a guy that they can actually improve um, without, you know, like totally revamping the player development system, as I, as I kind of wish they would do. Um, so, and, you know, and Jake Rogers is pretty good behind the plate. You know, there were some flaws though. Um, he, he had quite a few pass balls this year overall, both in the minors and the majors. Um, you know, he's always been regarded as a really good thrower, really good framer. Um, you know, we saw the throwing, um, some of the other, you know, elements to his, his catching behind the plate weren't so great. Um, but of course, you know, when a catcher gets called up there, there's kind of a whole learning curve, honestly, in front of him. Um, especially if your farm system doesn't prepare you well. And that, you know, that's kind of been an ongoing theme that a lot of guys, you know, you know, what they come to, they show up, you know, to the Tigers for, you know, their first call up or their first stint. And you can almost guarantee that within the first week, there's going to be some comment from Ron Gardenhire about, you know, well, you know, we'd like to see guys play a certain way. We need to see the fundamentals be more sound than this, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and that just goes on and on, but no one ever seems to get to the point of like, well, why aren't they, picking up all the fundamentals in the farm system. Like, why, why do they get here and you have to, like, you know, teach them to bunt and, uh, you know, and just like, you know, kind of these fundamental fundamental mistakes that get made. So 
Um, this is all a long-winded way of saying that I still think Jake Rogers um, has a decent chance to be a solid starting catcher, but none of us really ever thought he was going to be, you know, Adley Rushman, obviously, or even Joey Bart necessarily. So, you know, that's that's a position that I would really like to see the Tigers address um, this offseason in free agency. Um, it showed up, I think, you know, in terms also of like the pitching staff and who we had, you know, having good seasons that we were able to trade away for prospects, which is theoretically, you know, the program that we should be on right now. But, um, you know, we had like John Hicks, who really isn't even a catcher, um, playing catcher part time. They went into the, the season with him and a rookie, completely unheralded rookie in Grayson Griner, who most of us didn't really ever think would even be a major league backup. Um, and, and that was that was the starting tandem. And, you know, the, it doesn't matter from from a wins perspective, but it, it also matters from a development perspective. And if you're hurting Matt Boyd's value behind the plate or you're hurting, you know, Daniel Norris's attempts to make a comeback or Spencer Turnbull coming in as a rookie, um, you know, you're hurting the rebuild. You're not just like, well, he cost us this game or he might have cost us that game. Uh, it, it's a fundamental issue throughout the whole organization when you don't have um, solid catching. And there's there just happens to be. Um, Let's see. Let me just take a quick look here because there's a whole bunch of uh, good free. Well, not good, but solid free agent catchers that would be upgrades here from, you know, Jason Castro um, picking up a guy like Robbie Chirinos. So we just saw uh, it's Alex Avila is going to stay in Arizona, but that was another idea, like someone who could play some first base. Uh, Yep. Someone who actually has some plate discipline, Um, someone who we picked up for a half year in 2017. And he had like the best first half of his his career and got us a nice prospect in return, you know, Jan Gomes, Martin Maldonado, all these guys are available. So uh, that would be like front and center on my shopping list for the, for the off season. All right. So I know we're at first base, but let's uh, touch on Miguel Cabrera for a second. Um, overall, I mean, w- considering all the circumstances he's, he had a, you know, a decent season. He's been just battling. Are you concerned about the power numbers? Like, cause I am sorry, Gabe, I got to ask. No, 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 no. I was, I was getting around to the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, though, honestly, the power numbers are probably, um, you know, th- this is probably how it is. What, what's weird about Miguel Cabrera is that he still hits the ball really hard. Uh, he still looks like Miguel Cabrera, except for the fact that he just he can't drive off that back leg anymore. And, and it's all because um, that right knee is pretty much bone on bone um, from most of the reports I've read. And there isn't a whole lot you can do to fix that. You know, he went into this offseason talking about, you know, diet and nutrition, and maybe it was time to really, really get aggressive um, with the diet. But it's just really hard. Like, once you get to that point, it's really hard to, you know, it's hard to lose weight um, to take the pressure off that knee because the pressure's already on that knee and you're in a lot of pain all the time. Um, And he's still just got fantastic hands. Um, He's one of the smartest hitters I've ever seen, and he will absolutely smoke some hard ground balls all over the all over the infield but he just doesn't and this is you know and this is kind of going back three or four years I remember like maybe um 2015 or 2016 I was I was writing preseason that you know his his average exit velocity was still you know first in the game at that point um he still had more barrels you know than than just about anybody in the game then but he wasn't hitting as many fly balls and that has turned out to be the precursor to him, you know, j- just more and more, not really being able to lift the ball. Um, and in Comerica park, you know, I mean, you have to pull it for the most part, like Miguel Cabrera, JD Martinez, like those guys could go deep to center almost, almost at will. Um, and when they were both going good back in the day, it was incredible to watch some of the, just the monster shots that those guys would hit. Um, but 
you know, he's got to he's got to figure out a way to lift the ball in the air and pull it. And all of that is, you know, pretty much undone by that right knee. So, you know, maybe there's something that can be done. But um, short of him, like, you know, going crazy vegan, you know, all off season and somehow losing like 25, 30 pounds, I just have a hard time. You know, I, I mean, this happens with every player coming into spring, you know, in the best shape of their life. And we've had plenty of those stories from Miguel over the past couple of years. And I'm sure he, you know, he puts in the work in the offseason, you know, the way most players do. But he's just at a point in his career where there's so much more required. And I think that, you know, the, the ship has just kind of sailed from him, him having the the physicality left to even be able to get himself in, in better shape from there. So, yeah, it's, it's not good on that score. And, you know, obviously we're still paying him, you know, $32 million a year for another, I think, five five seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe four seasons with an option after that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of over like, you know, we've kind of already had like the two or three seasons of sort of waiting for the, you know, the late period revival where he has a year or two where he looks like an old his old self. I'm afraid that just isn't going to happen. But, you know, that's you know, we talked about this uh, before, you know, like you, you would just expect that he could go. He could still go to a place like New York, you know, if the Yankees wanted him as sort of a part time DH. You would think he would still be able to go go to a place like that and hit you 25, 30 home runs based on his strikeout to walk ratio, how hard he hits the ball, but it's just, he just cannot, he just cannot lift it. <laughs> he just cannot catch balls out in front and drive them in the air anymore. And they're just, yeah, there's just really kind of no remedy for any of that. I'm afraid. Going to the real first baseman for the Tigers, Brandon Dixon. Are you, are you, what are your, what are your thoughts on him? If Brandon Dixon was 25, I would be pretty interested. It's just that I think he's going into his age 28 season. Um, he doesn't walk. He, he's not patient. He does have pretty, pretty big time power. And if you watch him, he's a little bit mechanical, but he actually does have like a pretty nice, you know, um, at least, at least pleasing to the eye swing. Um, you know, he, he's a guy who can definitely drive the ball and he just doesn't select good pitches. And I, you know, it's hard for me to, to look at him and, and, and see a real major leaguer there. You know, he, he's sort of a guy who maybe you would have now that we have 26 spots, um, you know, maybe he's a guy you would put on the bench and he would play part time, pinch hit against lefties late in games, that kind of a thing. But, yeah, he's um, he's definitely not a long term answer. And I really, you know, I, I'm just at a point where I would like to get most of these guys and just just move them off because the Tigers are in bad enough shape where, you know, the, the leavings of a lot of the better teams are way better than than anything we've, we've got at, at most of these positions. And, you know, you could keep Brandon Dixon and try him. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really see any, any long-term viability there. He's, he's got some power. He's like a nice bat to have on the bench, you know, that kind of a thing, but yeah, not selective enough. Do you think y'all are in the worst spot in baseball right now, just in terms of farm and roster, everything as a whole? Yeah, I do. I, I really do. Um, I mean, you could still argue that the Illich family, you know, if things start to, to turn around is more likely than plenty of other owners to spend. But, um, but even that I think is under question at this point. Um, they, you know, the Illich family now and Chris Illich is the, the team president. You know, they don't seem real interested um, or real engaged. Like when, when they give comments, it, it's really the most, you know, kind of surface crap possible. And they've cut payroll. I think in 2017, we started out the year at like 210 million. And I think we're projected for 90 million um, going into this season. So they've absolutely slashed all that. Uh, you know, we've got two big contracts left, Miguel Cabrera heading into Jordan Zimmerman's final year. After that, I think they will probably spend some money, 
but I don't think we're ever going to see the, you know, the 180 million plus um, kind of no matter what happens. And there's a, a strong prevailing sentiment, I think, that um, that Chris Illich would, would like and most of his siblings would like to sell the team uh, at this point. You know, they paid like his dad paid 82 million for it back in like 91, 92. And, you know, I mean, they could probably get one point two billion now. So I can understand wanting to walk away at this point. And, uh, and I think most of us would like them to sell the team at this point to someone who's a little bit more engaged because, yeah, they, they just seem really pretty much hands off. Like, hey, Alavila, whatever you do is fine and we don't really care what happens. We'll come out there once or twice a year and give the spiel about, you know, the rebuilding effort and the prospects and, and blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of urgency there at all. Um, really no expectations of any any sort that anyone can discern. <laughs> Last thing before we move on to second base, is there any long-term solutions in this system at all at first base? I mean, there isn't one that I would say is any anything approaching like a, a 50-50 shot. I mean, I think a lot of us think that um, Kristen Stewart, who the Tigers had in left field this season, you know, hit his way through the minors really well, has power, um, a good hitter, but but a terrible, terrible like Delman Young-esque left fielder um, might end up moving to first base. Um Jamer Candelario, unfortunately, has been a disappointment. Like he, um, he's a guy who who looked really hitterish when we when we first got him, and has actually seemed to regress. Um, he he's had a, like a hamate bone issue in I can't remember which wrist, but one of his wrists that's that's something that can't really be repaired, and, and that's always lingered in the background. Like maybe this, you know, he's just not a guy who's who's going to be able to um, you know do, put in enough work to get better, you know, simply based on that alone. So. Yeah, I don't really think there is much of a of an answer. Um, there's a guy that we drafted this year, I think, in the sixth round, uh, Bryant Packard, um, who some of us like. You know, he in his sixth rounder. You know, you're not expecting a whole lot, but um, but he's got power and discipline, um, some decent hands. He's a guy who maybe could come along and, and play first base for you. But no, there really isn't there really isn't a solution. And when we were talking, um, you know, about Shane Green trades at the deadline and talking about the Red Sox, you know, that that was one of the reasons that you know, Tristan Cassius kept coming up because we just, you know, we don't really have anything that, that excites over here on that score. So, you know, th- there may be, I, I don't worry, obviously, you know, first base is one of the last positions you necessarily need to worry about. But um, yeah, I, I don't really see us. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm racking my brain throughout the minor leagues to think of anyone who might even kind of be a long shot to play that position um, in the future. And I, I don't really think we have anything like that. We're just going to take um, Spencer Torkelson, you know, with the first overall pick next year. <laughs> That's the plan, I think, right now. Let's go to a let's go to a position that makes me sad because I asked you this question last year, and I have to ask you this question again this year. Uh, please tell me Cody Clemens is good at baseball. <laughs> Cody Clemens is good at baseball, dude. Like anybody who makes it to the Double A level is great at baseball. Like incredible at baseball. You know, top. What's wrong with him? The fact that he doesn't have a position, what is it? I'll say this for Cody Clemens. Like, he's, he's not one of the guys who I'm like, oh, there's, there's just no chance. Um, you know, his, his swing is just long. There's, a, there's too much swing and miss kind of still in his game. Uh, and he doesn't complement it with enough other tools. Um, you know, he, he doesn't really have much in the way of speed. He's an okay defender, but he doesn't, um, doesn't have much of an arm. So he can't really even play like, you can't really project him to right field um, if the bat did come along. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who's, who's just got a very narrow path to, to the major leagues and he's got some, you know, he's got decent plate discipline and he definitely has some, some good raw power, 
but it's just sort of a clunky kind of mechanical swing without really great, um, you know, contact ability. He just, just doesn't have the hands to get to, to get the pitches, you know, away from him. Um, he's still got a hole for sliders down and in that's, you know, standard for, for most prospects in general, but looks a lot further from, from being solved than would lead you to think that he might figure it out. But, um, you know, in the Tiger system, like he's probably like my maybe third or now nah, like fourth or fifth ranked position player. And this is how I'm talking about him, which tells you that the, you know, the Tigers uh, position players on the farm, it's, it's just not, there's just not a whole lot there, but um, I haven't given up on Cody Clemens, but I think like by the end of next year, we'll know, like, you know, he, he looked all right. He didn't look totally overmatched at double a um, only got in maybe a week or two up there. So he'll be at double a, I think most of the season. And um, by the end of next season, we'll, we'll know. It would be nice if it worked out, um, you know, if he can kind of shorten things up, you know, get a little bit stronger, a little bit quicker with the bat. There's still a chance. I'll, I'll say that much for him. I got excited. You said there's still a chance. And like, and like the, the little longhorn inside my heart was like, yes, that's a good Tell thing. Tell me there's a chance. Oh, yes, let's go. <laughs> I, I want to hook the horns. I'm, I'm down to hook the horns. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he would be like the most successful longhorn in the major leagues right now outside of Brandon Bell. Oh, really? Which is sad. Oh, yeah. It's, it's actually very sad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, you know, let's go ahead and talk about the rest of this. Is this the year? I know he just got to double A this year. Do we see Isaac Paredes at the major league level this year? Yes. Yes. And if we don't, I'm going to freaking riot. You're right. I don't, let's go. I don't really even know what they're, what they're waiting for now. Um, you know, if it was me, I'd kind of just be ready to pencil him in at third base to start the season. And, um, and, you know, maybe like if they want to game him and, you know, wait 40 games and then, and then bring him up, do that kind of thing. Um, that, that would be kind of what I'm aiming for. Um, I think I kind of feel like Isaac Paredes honestly just needs to be challenged a little bit more. Um, he didn't hit for a ton of power this year, but he's just such a goddamn good hitter. Um, he's just such a pure contact hitter, you know, dr- draws as many walks as he, as he does strike out, hits the ball hard a lot. The Tigers kind of had him, you know, working on, on spraying the ball to right field and trying to use the whole field, which is sort of their, you know, their sort of operating philosophy. And he struggled a little bit, you know, the first couple months of the season and people were kind of worrying about that, but it, it just felt like they were, they were trying to get him to adopt that approach a little bit, not open up um, his hips quite so early in his swing, um, stay on the online a little bit longer and as the season progressed, you know, it, it, it was just, it was Isaac Paredes again, you know, just, just smoking the baseball hard all over the place. Um, he's still got some adjustments to make. I mean, you don't necessarily need to rush him. I'm, I'm perfectly fine if the Tigers decide they want to, you know, keep him in, in Toledo until September. Um, I won't be, be thrilled about it because we're going to be playing hot garbage at a couple positions, but, uh, you know, um, Isaac Paredes is one of the, one of the guys who I'm still very confident is going to hit and is going to develop a power, a more of a power approach um, as, as he matures a little bit. He's still, I think 21 right now. Um, Although, you know, you you never know, never know about age for sure (laughs) with the international guys. Uh, He's a big boy, Uh, but he's, you know, he's man sized already. Uh, It doesn't look like there's that much more he's going to learn in, in the minor leagues. And I really would wish the Tigers had brought him up to Toledo later, late this past season um, just to kind of get him acclimated to the major league ball, um, to see if the ball started flying out for him, if he would be a little bit more aggressive about trying to take pitches early in counts and pull the thing out of the park um, once he saw him flying out like that. But 
you know, in their wisdom, they didn't they didn't do that. So that's fine. <laughs> um, I'm still waiting for that weird twist that's going to happen when the ball, you know, it kind of happened this this postseason. Like the the rumblings are there already that like the ball is just going to be completely different next year, and all these well, guys just try to switch it back, just like yeah, everybody's like nobody's going to notice. 40 runs is suddenly going to be just flying out everywhere and batting 220 again. They're going to accidentally switch the balls the wrong way and make them even more flyable and just like, <laughs> more aerodynamic somehow. <laughs> I was I literally just saw a tweet um, from Minor League Baseball where they were talking about how the Chinese tariffs were going to increase the price of a, a batch of 12 balls by $56 <laughs> heading into next season. I didn't even know Rawlings was making the balls in China. I thought they were still you know, being hand-stitched in the Dominican by you know people who give a damn about the game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know what's I don't know what's going on. They're gonna be begging fans to throw the balls back. Just be like, please, yeah, we yeah. need those. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna see some crazy. Oh my god, could you imagine if they would actually let the they ran low on balls and and the oh pitchers could actually you know, see some wild shit. <laughs> oh, that'd be insane too. Uh, this you know this was kind of a plug and play at second base. It was something that we talked about last year. Uh, is it gonna be the case again this year, or do you think that they give somebody else a shake? You know, I mean, you played Harrison there, you played Beckham there a little bit this year. What does it look like this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of hoping they can find someone halfway interesting to claim. Um, you know, just like just signing kind of, Brock Holt. <laughs> no, some hopefully someone younger who gets released. You know, I mean, that might even be a place where. They could use the rule five pick to find like a guy who plays good defense and, you know, hasn't figured it out at the plate yet. I, I just want them to get some young guys and try them, you know, try something um, despite my, you know, conviction that they're just not very good at player development. You know, they could play Nico Goodrum there. Your Nico Goodrum was a, an above average shortstop who can actually hit and the Tigers didn't didn't stick with him. As soon as Jordy Mercer came back, they played Jordy Mercer at shortstop. They kept moving. I mean, Nico Goodrum played like center field, right field, left field, first base. They had him all over the place. But um, I think he, I want to say he played about 40 games at shortstop and posted an above average DRS. And I I wouldn't like hang my hat on that. I mean, Nico Goodrum is is like a nice player who has a lot of tools and um, maybe kind of has like a bit of a, um, oh God, who am I thinking of? The... um, the twins signed him last year. He played for the Astros. Mr. Versatile. Super utility. Yeah, I could see, you know, a little bit of that kind of career for Nico Goodrum, perhaps. Um, but he is, you know, 27 now. So I, I don't know if there's much more development there for him either. But, you know, he can run. He steals some bases. He's got really pretty good power. Um, he's patient at the plate. He hits a ton of line drives. He was actually pretty unlucky this year. Um, considering the line drive rate he put up, I think it was almost 30%. Um, he was smoking the ball, um, especially in the first half, and just kind of battled um, like a hamstring and, and groin kind of combo meal um, in the second half and wasn't around very much. So he's, he, you know, for me, he's part of the, the middle infield uh, equation for us next year. But yeah, I mean, it's just really hard to tell. Like the Tigers just have these notions that don't really seem to match up to reality, um, you know, from the outside. And that's fine, you know, if if they're right. <laughs> but I haven't really seen much much evidence of them being, you know, more able to predict what's going to happen than the rest of us, you know, public analysts just looking at the stats are, you know, and watching guys, you know, play are able to figure out. So, yeah, I don't really know what I think the Tigers are going to do. And and the middle infield is, you know, if we want to just take it kind of as as both positions, um, is is just kind of a, a black hole right now. Like Willie Castro. Um, who we got for Leonis Martin in 2017. Um, 
you know, a decent young hitter. I'm like, like a kind of a smallish guy who, who probably isn't going to hit for that much power. Um, but you know, the, the word on him when we got him is that he was a pretty solid defender that, you know, he was going to be major league ready, you know, defensively at shortstop and, uh, you know, pretty soon. And he was, he was God awful last year, honestly, defensively. And, and a lot of it seemed like mental mistakes, like the, the physical abilities were still there. Um, you know, he still got a strong, accurate arm. His hands didn't look that bad, but he just, he just seems to fall asleep out there sometimes. And yeah, I mean, seeing him in September, I, I really did, didn't think anything other than like, yeah, he's got to, he's got to play shortstop at Toledo next year and work on some of this. Um, and I don't know. I mean, this kind of ties into it. Um, just, but just, just to keep kind of nudging toward the player development side that, you know, the Tigers fired their triple A manager, Doug Minkowitz, um, after one year, after signing him to a two year contract and, I don't know. There's a lot of debate kind of about like why, why they, they changed directions there. Um, a couple of the guys, like I said, like Rogers came up, you know, Castro came up and they, and they just weren't fundamentally sound defensively. They, like they just looked um, sloppy and a little bit mentally overmatched. And so maybe they took that out on Doug Menkowitz, but it also, there's also the, the perspective that a lot of people who are kind of insiders have, which is that um, Doug Menkowitz is just not a guy who's going to bullshit you about like how good your prospects are and how good everybody's doing. You know, he's he's going to tell people, um, you know, pretty much straight up what he thinks. And the Tigers are are very much in PR mode right now because they don't have a whole lot else to offer. And I don't think they like that. And, you know, Doug Menkowitz is kind of an old school guy. Like, you know, he's he's not someone out there, um, you know, in the cage, you know, studying everybody's blash motion data and, and you know, <laughs> diving into the analytics, I don't really imagine. But, um, but you know, there, there is something to say for that, you know, that kind of final boss before you get to the, the major leagues who is like really hard on you and forcing you to clean up all the, the details and the little things. And that was kind of what he was supposed to be here to do. And it seemed like that was what he was trying to do. And it may not have gone that well, but um, yeah, it was a surprise that the Tigers decided to to fire him and they don't seem to have anyone internal that they want. So maybe it was just the fact that so many guys got fired. So many managers and coaches got fired um, as soon as the season ended that they just feel like there's, there's some opportunities out there to pick up, you know, Guardi's replacement. I am all for hiring Gabe Kapler, installing him as triple a manager, and then putting him in charge of the entire player development system. <laughs> like that, that would be my ideal, like pay him like $10 million, whatever it takes to get him to do that for us for two years revamp this whole thing and and let's go. Um, but to bring it all the way back to yeah the middle infield, you know, the Tigers have kept playing Isaac Paredes at shortstop and he played shortstop in the Arizona Fall League. And Isaac Paredes has good hands, looks very, very comfortable at either shortstop or third base, um, really strong, accurate arm, but he just doesn't really have the range um, that you would like to see to play shortstop. And so everyone's always assumed he was going to move. But when you look at the way the game is trending and the fact that, you know, th- there's less ground balls, um, you know, the shift is sort of, you know, trimming away a little bit at the need to have like super great range out there. Um, you know, maybe maybe they could try to fudge that for a couple of years. Um, Johnny Peralta didn't have any range and didn't really have that good of an arm either. But he was just fundamentally sound enough and had the bat and it, just you know, and it made the rest of it moot. So they could try that, too. Um, but if it was me, I would just play Nico Goodrum at shortstop. Um do whatever you got to do at third base until you're convinced that Isaac Paredes can come up and play third. And then, yeah, they've probably got to find someone um, to play some middle infield and hopefully someone who's been released and is a little bit younger. Um, there just isn't that much point to me to having, you know, an, bringing back like Jordy Mercer or, or Josh Harrison. 
you know, if they think there's some value in the room <laughs> by having one of those guys there, that's fine. But I, I would rather them try to just take a flyer on someone young. I mean, one of the, one suggestion that uh, my my podcast co-host has, has brought up is, you know, we could just pick up someone like, you know, Jason Kipnis or, you know, Osdrubal, I guess, Osdrubal Cabrera, one of those guys that they wanted to just to just sort of fill in the gaps. But yeah, I mean, I'd just rather try to find like a like a shortstop who has failed. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe Chris Owings. I don't know. Maybe we could plug Chris Owings in there. I mean, we had Gordon Beckham this year. It couldn't be any worse. I've, I've seen I've seen things you fellas wouldn't believe over there in Boston. I'll tell you that. Brandon, moving to the hot corner. You touched on it a little bit. What's going to happen at 30? I mean, you got Lugo and Castro. Um, what's in, I mean, what's your outlook for that position? Um, the, the Tigers are going to play Dawa Lugo um, because... They wasted J.D. Martinez in trade, and Dawal Lugo is the only like semblance of a of a of a real player that they got um, out of that deal, and he's terrible. And they're going to waste our time with him um, probably for four months, I would guess this this season. Um, you know, Dawal Lugo is like a solid defender. He's got good hands. He's sort of like a like a like I don't even know how to describe what kind of a hitter he is. Like he has good hands. He doesn't strike out very much. Um, does, swings at everything. If he, he's like, if Jose Altuve like sucked, you know, just didn't have any command, you know, command over the bat and, uh, you know, could just put the bat on the ball, like just had like the hand eye to put the bat on the ball, but could drive it anywhere. Couldn't pick any pitches. Um, that will Lugo the whole way up through the minors, you know, is just like the master of the scorched ground ball double down the line. Um, that, that's sort of his, uh, that's his, his trademark. That's, uh, that's the big, that's the big show. He's a weird guy. You know, he, he has a really, um, it's hard to explain, <laughs> like just in voice without images, but he has a really rotational swing is how I would, would describe it. Um, he doesn't like drive toward the pitcher so much as he just sort of like spins his hips and, and just slaps the ball hard on the ground. Um, and, and he swings like a door. He doesn't swing like, oh. that's a great, the, yes, that's perfect. He sw- he does swing like a door. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he seems like the kind of guy who, if, he was with a different team that was a little bit better at, at hitting instruction. Like if you put him on the Yankees, I, I could see them maybe cleaning him up and, you know, and driving the ball a little bit more in the air. Um, he's, he's probably got 55 raw power, um, you know, like 50, 50 hit tool, but they're just, but the power just never comes because everything is on the ground. So yeah, I don't know. They're going to waste our time with him. I'm sh- I'm sure for a while. And there's enough potential there where it's like it's not impossible that he could figure it out, but it's impossible that the Tigers are going to help him figure it out. That's <laughs> how I would put it. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to play a bunch of third base and at some point hopefully the Tigers will kind of get over that and um and just plug Isaac Paredes in there. But I, I expect we'll kind of have to put up with a with a few months of uh full-time Dawil Lugo and the, you know, and the people cheering on his every, you know, halfway decent moment and oh god i can feel it i can feel it happening already guys <laughs> i'm already envisioning the 2020 season right now but yeah i mean that, that's just kind of how it is he was the only guy that was that was really even like a 45 future value type guy that they got for um jd martinez and so they're you know they're, they're just kind of gonna do their thing and run them out there until we're fed up with it so does sergio alcantara make any appearance at all this year do you think and where does he wind up position wise in the future i mean he it's it's not impossible he might make a an appearance but really he's a, he's a defensive replacement type guy he is a, a really pretty good defender um, he's got a fantastic arm 
His 20 um, power looks great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's it, you know, like he he's a he's a guy who's going to play some pepper. You know, he's he's kind of he's another one who's sort of a Jose Iglesias type with less power, but maybe slightly more discipline. So, yeah, I mean, there just isn't really anything there to to, to look forward to, I'm afraid, either. Um, he is a really slick defender. He's like he's a fun player to watch. Um, if you watch minor league ball, but yeah, I don't really see him ever having the bat speed to, to handle the major leagues at all. So yeah, he's, he's probably a non-factor too. I'm afraid. Yeah. Quintana's pretty far away too. So that'll be a while at that position. I mean, is there anybody else in the system that you're kind of excited about as far as infield guys? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say this, like, I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of interested to see what Quintana does next year. And I liked, um, Andre Lipschitz, the, um, the Tigers third round pick, like he's, he was kind of an, I think he was a four year junior. Um, and I think he, what, he majored in like nuclear physics or something like that. Like a, a really smart guy who was, who really had the academic side um, and, and probably will go on to, to do something in that when, it, when his baseball career is over. But he's a guy who's, you know, like a pretty solid defender. He's scrappy. He's obviously smart. Like he, the games I saw him play um, for the West Michigan Whitecaps at the, the class A level, like he looked like the smartest hitter, um, on the, on the field for the most part. So, but again, he's, he's a guy who's kind of small. Um, it's not really built. Doesn't really seem to have that much power. He's a guy who I, I want to see now that he's committed to baseball full time, like what he comes out looking like physically next year and, and, and sort of what he can do in his, in his first season. Um, and after that, we'll probably have a better idea. Like I don't, I don't necessarily expect a whole lot from him. But he does have some plate discipline, which is the, the thing that the Tigers really struggle to draft, um, you know, guys who even like have have, you know, the, the eye to ever develop like the, they're just really bad at finding that, you know, the Tigers like guys who swing at everything and can put the bat on the ball. And they've never really shown much propensity for being able to sort of, you know, teach guys how to how to turn that into, you know, be, becoming an actual hitter with some plate discipline and selectivity. Um Andre Lipschitz might be the guy who, who can sort of figure some of those things out by himself, but he's another one who, you know, he's got a pretty handsy swing. Um, it's, it's not real pretty. He sort of just sort you know, kind of, kind of gets by by being ahead of the game on a lot of people. And as the stuff gets better, he's going to have to get a lot better physically. And um, we'll just have to see how it kind of goes in his, in his first full season next year. But he's, you know, he's someone who I'll at least be paying a lot of attention to. Uh, but yeah, beyond that, yeah, I mean, yeah, infield is 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 really really weak. Basically, you know, every every position, every you know, every position on the field is is kind of kind of up for grabs right now. There's really nobody who has a lock on anything, um, you know, long term at all. But we do have a lot of pitching guys. <laughs> we got that part. Come yeah. on. Okay, so jumping to the outfield, I mean, you really can't start anywhere else other than the Nick Cassianos trade. Buzzer beater trade at the deadline. Uh, two top prospects. Was the return what you thought it would be, and what was your reaction to the trade? Um, yeah, I mean, the return was was pretty much what I thought it would be, and you know, and it really isn't much. I mean, Alex Lang is a, a decent relief candidate. Um, Paul Rashan might be, you know, might be like a six starter guy who who comes up and and gets some spot starts for you down the road, but that seems to to really be kind of the upside there. You know, and that's to be expected. Like teams aren't giving that up that much for players, especially rentals anymore. And you know, Nick Cassianos didn't really have a very good first half. The Tigers really, um, you know, I mean, pretty much thoroughly mishandled the entire Nick Cassianos situation. Like I was writing that they should extend him 
the minute they traded Justin Berlander and J.D. Martinez because it was pretty clear that, you know, there, there wasn't going to be enough time for Nick to, like, move to right field, get good at it, sort of establish himself there and become a trade chip who still had a couple years of control left. And they ended up just not doing anything, really, um, you know, didn't really negotiate on any kind of an extension. You know, there, there's some rumors that there were some some talks about it. But Nick put himself out there in a way that players a lot of times won't do and, you know, and really made clear that he wanted to stay in Detroit, wanted to be part of turning this thing around, really wanted to stay here. Um, his family was all, you know, he, that he grew up with was kind of all Tigers fans. And so this was kind of the place he had always envisioned himself, kind of came out and publicly said all those sorts of things. And the Tigers response, you know, was, was pretty much a dial tone. Um, and I know that hurt him, you know, that, that had to hurt him because, you know, Nick Cassianos isn't a, a particularly good player. He's a he's a good hitter. You know, that that's kind of it. He, he fits best for somebody who needs a DH, who can play some outfield and, you know, basically a guy who puts a lot of balls and play hard um, and on a line like Nick, Nick Cassianos would be like a perfect guy for. And I kind of thought this might happen. He'd be like the perfect like six hitter or five hitter for the Astros. Like you put him in there behind like Altuve, Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, and he's he's going to have days where he's just smoking doubles all over the field and driving everybody in. Um, and we saw that with the Cubs, you know, once he got over there. But yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's the way I look at it is a, a GM's job to get maximum value out of all of your assets in, in whatever way. And the only thing that you know, excuses anything else really is, hey, we're competitive, we're contending. And we weren't anywhere close to that. Um, they could have easily afforded, you know, an extension on him and we would have still had a, a pretty solid bat that you could probably DH, you know, a lot of the time because obviously Miguel Cabrera is, you know, going to be hurt quite a bit. He's going to need, you know, a lot of days off. Um, so Castiano's kind of defensive liabilities and right, even though he's not terrible, but, um, you know, certainly not even really an average defender. He could have been a part of the rebuild and given you kind of a bat to start start building everything else around. And they just, you know, they just didn't seem to have any interest. So, you know, I wasn't surprised that he was traded. I wasn't surprised that we didn't get very much back for him. Um, I was I was really pissed about it, um, but I was almost kind of over that like a year ago. <laughs> and the rest was just sort of waiting like where he went. So, and Nick is another guy who I, you know, like per, on a personal level, as far as like liking players go, I really like Nick. So it was nice to see him go to Chicago, have a great time and just rake over there. Um, I know a lot of Tiger fans who've talked smack about him for years and I've had to keep arguing with were sort of, uh, you know, gobsmacked to see him become like this huge fan favorite and all the ladies going crazy for him, um, hitting home runs and, and doubles all over the place and, and basically doing everything he could, to, you know, carry the Cubs on his back to the postseason. So. Yeah, I mean, I think Nick is a better player than we saw here in large part because there just wasn't much else around him. Um, he had a really good 2018, and Miggy was out basically the whole year, and we had nobody around him, and he still hit, you know, I think he still posted like a 128 WRC plus, something like that. So, you know, he's a solid player. Um, but without him there, you know, yeah, who, who plays right field next year for the Tigers? I mean, we really... We have Jacoby Jones and, and Victor Reyes, who are both sort of defense first center fielders. And in right field, like maybe it's Travis Demerit, um, maybe Daz Cameron. I, you know, I think those are those are really kind of the, the two options. So I know probably one of them. The Tigers have, have at least kind of hinted that they might try to find some kind of a power bat or two to play first base and help out there and in right field. So, you know, potentially something like that will happen. I, I, I certainly don't feel 
great about just turning the job right over to Travis Demerit, who didn't really show us a whole lot after um, the Shane Green trade with the Braves. Um, he was sort of the second piece in that deal. Like, you know, has another guy who has some potential, kind of like Nico Goodrum, like, you know, kind of has like decent all around tools, but just just doesn't really put it all together or hasn't yet. So probably he's going to be getting a lot of time in right field. And I'm really hoping that Daz can kind of come on and at least um, put up a pretty good show and start taking some of that time from him if uh, if Travis doesn't kind of get it going next year. Now let's talk about the guy that was recalled seven times in 2019, Victor Reyes. What were your thoughts on his season? And do you think uh, he's, you know, going to be productive next season? Well, I think the, you know, like the best thing that happened for him is that he proved himself to be a good defender at all positions in the outfield. Like you could put him out there and feel pretty good about it. Cause even that wasn't, wasn't real certain last season. And for people who don't know, the Tigers picked him up in the Rule 5 draft, um, had the first pick in the Rule 5 draft, and took him from the Arizona Diamondbacks um, in, after the 2017 season. Basically stashed him all year because it didn't matter, and we could in 2018. And he kind of came straight from A, you know, and, and had to kind of try to hang in, in the Major League environment, and it was bleak. Like, you know, most of us were sort of just like, what, you know, what were they looking at? You know, what do they see in this kid other than the fact that he's, you know, 6'5 and can run? You know, there's there, there are some physical gifts there. But um, but this year he sort of shortened his swing up. He he basically took on that, you know, that Lloyd McClendon, let's play some pepper approach. And it just and it just kind of worked out for him. You know, he babbipped him his way to a to an okay second half, but even that was like you know, it was like 220 plate appearances where he was, you know, spraying the ball around and it was, it was dropping for him, but, um, but still hasn't really found much of a way to tap into his power, hit for a little bit more power at triple a. And I think really the only, I don't know, the only thing that's kind of left with him or, or the thing that you can kind of hang on to as a glimmer of hope is that, you know, his development curve has been kind of screwed up by the fact that he had, he sat on the bench after jumping straight from, from double a to the majors went back to triple a this season, which is what he needed all year long, but was also kind of bouncing up and down. Um, so it's not impossible that he might find a little bit more of a gear, but at best, I would say he's, he's sort of an average outfielder whose, whose main value is going to lie in his, his defensive abilities. So that's kind of who the guy is. So I don't know if you know this or not, but one, probably the biggest guy that the painting corners podcast are fans of is Austin Meadows. His younger brother, Parker, Me- Parker Meadows, is in the Tiger system. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, Parker Meadows, um, yeah, the Tigers took him in the second round um, in the draft in 2018 out of high school. You know, he's he's another guy who has, like, a lot of tools, um, but feels like the kind of guy who also might just take a little bit of time to sort of put it all together physically because he is, you know, 6'5", and he looks like he's maybe 200 pounds. You know, he's really kind of a beanpole. Um, he can run. Um, he's got some whip in his swing. Um, we've seen some really nice raw power from him on occasion, but he has a really long swing. You know, like when scouts talk about bat speed, like the way I try to explain this to people is that, it, you know, it's not like how fast your bat is traveling. You know, it's 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 basically zero to 60. It's it's acceleration. And he's got work to do there. And, you know, some of that may just be shortening the swing and and physically getting stronger. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing you know, him kind of grow into his frame a little bit more um, and see if, you know, a little bit more coordination and strength can kind of um, can kind of smooth out some of the, the rough edges in his swing. 
because he can, you know, he, he's definitely capable of playing center field. Um, he, he should have pretty good raw power. Um, he, he's got decent enough accelerator, you know, a lot of long limbed guys who are fast still aren't very good base dealers. And Victor Reyes kind of fits that mold. Um, I think Parker Meadows will be a little bit better on, on that front, but, um, but yeah, he's, you know, he's got some swing flaws and it's just hard to be confident. You know, if, if we were, if you put Parker Meadows in the Astros system, I would probably like, just, just, just by the fact that I know he's going to get good instruction, like almost bump him up, like, you know, to a, you know, almost a 50 future value type guy, as opposed to like the 40 that he probably is, you know, with the Astros, he's probably a 45. Cause I just don't have a whole lot of confidence that, you know, that this team can produce hitters and we haven't really seen anything to, to really counteract that. Um, even Nick Castellanos, who's sort of the one hitter that the Tigers have you know managed to develop over the last, you know, six or seven years was, was pretty close to a finished product. Even, um, even within like his first year, um, in pro ball, he was he was just a really you know precocious hitter, and didn't really change too much um, that, that that any of us could really see by the Tigers' instruction. So, yeah, I don't have a lot of confidence, unfortunately, on that front. But you know, it it doesn't hurt that Parker Meadows goes and trains with Austin Meadows, who had a freaking kick-ass year with the Rays this year. You know, there, there's a little bit in the pedigree uh, bucket where at least you know that he's going to be around people who are doing the right things and know, you know, know how to improve themselves, know what to work on. Um, so I'm going to be pretty interested to see Parker Meadows next season. He's a guy who I think a lot of people were disappointed in this year, but, um, but again, like guys with that kind of frame, I, I almost always will give like a whole extra year of, of leeway to, um, just because, you know, he's, he's just kind of a tall gangly kid who needed to get his coordination and strength together. And if that happens, yeah, you never know. Maybe the swing will come around as well. All right, let's go ahead and jump starting pitching. Let's make this. Let's make this. Uh, I just want to jump into the bad stuff. Uh, does Matt Boyd fit this rebuild? Is the question that we're going to lead off with? Probably, no, pro- probably not. No. Like, if I'm running the show, yeah. Like, if I if I'm running the show, like Matt Boyd and and Daniel Norris are probably getting extensions right right this off season, um, and I'm going to try to hang on to those guys a little bit longer because I think the Tigers are probably going to sort of run out of time in terms of being able to convert them to, you know, useful assets that will actually play in 22, 23 when, uh, when we're, you know, kind of hoping that we're back in the, in the mix again. Um, I really like Matt Boyd. Um, I didn't at first, like when we traded for Matt Boyd, obviously he was, he was far and away the third piece behind Daniel Norris, um, especially and Michael Fulmer. Um, and Matt Boyd has really transformed himself. And Matt Boyd is a is the kind of guy who's a really smart pitcher, works really hard. Uh, he's a leader. Um, he's a smart guy. Um, he, he's he's the guy who I would say is like the James Shields of the Tigers staff, um, if you know how that kind of reputation works. Um, Matt Boyd is trained at driveline baseball out in Seattle, um, or well, not in Seattle, but in Washington. Um, the past couple seasons and like each season he's, he's made like a major change. Like in 2016, he used to really be like a almost high three quarters guy. And in 2016 dropped his arm slot, like to a, a low three quarters, like a really pretty radical change that happened over the course of that season. And he improved. And then he came out last year and the slider looked a lot better. And, you know, he, he was slinging that thing a little bit differently, um, getting a lot more horizontal break and getting a lot more whiffs on it. And then this past offseason, like, did a whole lot of, um, a lot more, like, physical work, uh, built his fastball up a little bit more, picked up another mile or two, tweaked his delivery just a little bit to get more backspin and a little bit more just straight riding action on the fastball. 
And, and that worked like for the first, you know, three months of the season. Now we found that, you know, he really kind of turned into sort of like a, a poor man's Patrick Corbin, where there's a lot of strikeouts, not many walks, but when guys start teeing off on him, they're, they're hitting him hard and he was giving up a lot of home runs. Um, so he's, he's a guy who really had a home run problem and started, he's, you know, we've seen stretches where Matt Boyd has a really good changeup. And that to me just seems to be the key. Like if he's got one more step that he can take where he can refine that changeup and command it consistently all next season, I think you're looking at like a, you know, a, a solid number two starter, like, you know, or, or a good number three, something like that. So I still think there's that last little bit um, for him to get out of himself. And if he can do that in the first half, maybe the Tigers will be able to get a little bit more of what they wanted when they tried to trade him at the, the trade deadline this season. Um, he's been fun to watch, though, and, and it really, in a lot of ways, he sort of saved the team by at least like every fifth day, like, OK, this looks like a a halfway professional major league baseball team that can win some games because, you know, two or three starts um, per turn, we really didn't even look like that um, this season. So yeah, I mean, Matt Boyd, pretty good guy. And I think there's, there's a lot of intangibles there on top of um, what you'd actually see in his numbers that would make him a pretty valuable guy for a lot of teams to have. I actually think that um, the Phillies would have done well to trade for him. Uh, I know they didn't want to trade like Alec Bohm, uh, and the way it looks now, trading a Spencer Howard for him might have seemed excessive, but, you know, he's a durable guy. Matt Boyd hasn't hasn't had any injuries. He goes out there. He gives you, you know, 170, 180 innings every year. Um, he struck, struck out, I think, like 11.5 per nine innings, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere right around there this year. Definitely uh, up in the in the top, you know, 10 or so of um, of strikeout guys and doesn't walk too many people. Um, he, he's just one of those guys who is a fly ball pitcher who has a bit of a home run problem. And you're going to have to be able to, to, to solve that to really unlock him and make him something better than an average starter. Uh, because, you know, obviously if you're in Comerica Park and you're giving up home runs, you're going to give up home runs in Philly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So that's his mission this offseason is to figure out a way to keep, keep hitters a little bit more off balance, um, work on that third pitch. And I wouldn't put it past him because he he's definitely a guy who – who really understands the modern process of pitch development and, you know, is fairly likely to figure something out for next season that'll be interesting again. I'm actually terrified to mention this guy's name because last year we did it and he got Tommy John like almost immediately. <laughs> uh, what's going to happen with Michael Fulmer? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Michael Fulmer's probably not going to be back until till midseason. You know, like the Tigers are, you know, obviously not in a position to, to rush him at all. Like there's no reason. Why? So. <laughs> Yeah, so they're gonna, you know, he's. I don't expect to see him until after the All Star break, and I and I really don't know what to expect. Um, you know, everybody's gonna think about the Tommy John surgery. Um, I don't worry so much about that. Like Michael Fulmer is a beast. Like he is a hardworking, like intense cat. Um, where his craft is concerned, I, I assume that the rehab will go, you know, according to plan, and he will, you know, he will get his arm strength back, and and the elbow will be okay. But the problem is that he, he's got knee problems, too. You know, he, he's lost quite a bit of cartilage in his right knee. And um, they didn't, I don't think they did the microfracture procedure this last offseason. But I don't know. There was a whole weird thing this spring where he showed up and all of a sudden he's wearing a knee brace. And they started letting him pitch, you know, like normal pretty quickly. And I don't know that that had anything to do with his elbow. Um, you know, he's had bone chips removed. Um, from the elbow before, ha has had some ulnar, ulnar nerve issues in there before that they had to, to do a little bit with. 
So the elbow thing probably was just coming on, but it was a bad look for the Tigers that, you know, he comes back from a minor knee procedure. You put him in a knee brace, you know, he, he starts kind of going on his normal workload to get ready for the season and blows out his elbow. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing that enrages me. <laughs> like what you had no reason not to just like slow play him and let him get used to the brace, you know, which is kind of like light work um, as long as you wanted. And they, it probably didn't have anything to do with it, but I, you know, I just don't know what we're going to get when he comes back because a big part of, you know, Michael Fulmer is that he just had one of the best fastballs in the game and had good command of it. Really, really aggressive fastball pitcher um, with great extension who powered his way off the mound at you really hard. And that right knee is, is the thing that worries me more than the, the Tommy John, um, you know, Michael Fulmer always had some issues in terms of, he, he just really never had like a particularly good breaking ball um, in, in 2016 when he run rookie of the year it was really fastball change up more than anything kind of had like a 89 90 mile per hour you know cutterish sort of slider that was okay um, but it was mainly the fastball making it play up so yeah I don't know I I still kind of feel like maybe what's going to happen is that Michael Fulmer is going to end up in relief you know going to be sort of a right-handed like Sean Doolittle type but um, but we're gonna have to wait and and probably we won't really know until 2021 um, sort of what he's got in the tank um, with that knee in issue. Spencer Turnbull had a really good year this this season. And if there was one like bright, like rookie debut that the Tigers had, it was Turnbull. Um, you know, he's just a really interesting guy in that he's one of the few that really throws like a high spin four seamer and a really low spin, you know, like true sinker. Um, and he can mix those two on you from 93 to 98 miles per hour. And his command is still, is still sketchy, but you can just see like a lot of good hitters had a really hard time um, dealing with this fastball. And he's also, you know, he backs it up with a, a pretty good slider um, curveball combination. He's a guy who's, who's older than I think people thought when he, when he came up, I keep reminding people that, you know, Daniel Norris is only 26 um, after everything he's been through and spreads the Turnbull debuted this year at 27, just about um, he's a guy who the Tigers drafted in 2004 and, he had, you know, kind of consistent shoulder issues, but never anything major. And it, it just feels like maybe 2018, he, he kind of found something in his conditioning where it all sort of clicked and he stayed healthy the whole season. And you started to see kind of the package coming together. And while he's not um, he's not a guy who's probably ever going to have like, you know, plus command or turn into a really dominant starter. He's a guy who's who's got just nasty raw stuff like he, he could be a really tough reliever. Um, he's a guy who, who they, the Tigers do have kind of going for them right now, who really kind of came out of the blue because even though he had a good season in the, on the farm last year, you know, he was 26 by then. He, he was a guy that I think a lot of people had already started to kind of write off, um, was falling down into the teens, um, in a lot of the, the system rankings. And so to have him kind of come up and, you know, showcase a little better command than, than he, he had in the, in the minors, and that power stuff, he's a guy who, um, you know, probably is one of the, the best assets or one of the best things to happen um, to the Tigers organization this season. So they've got him, um, and he's still going to be around for six years. So that that part of it is good. You know, the, the real tricky part, and I, I just wrote like a player review about Daniel Norris last night. You know, he's going to be a free agent in 2022. So we've only got him for two more seasons. Um, Fulmer and Boyd, we only have for three more. So it, it is really hard unless the Tigers decide to offer some extensions and the Tigers aren't a team that really ever seems to do that with anybody other than the, you know, the Justin Verlanders of the world, um, which I think is foolish, unfortunately, but 
is just kind of the way it goes. But the trick the next year or, or so is to, to figure out how to, to turn those guys into the best assets that they can get back. And obviously, Fulmer's going to take some time now. But you've got Fulmer for three more seasons, so maybe that can work out. Um, Boyd, I would expect to be traded very, fairly soon. Norris has just had like this this weird groin injury um, that he suffered in 2017, pitched with it for most of the season and and struggled, and then had surgery, came back the next year, um, was still kind of dealing with a lot of soreness and scar tissue, and his velocity, which used to be you know 93, 94, was down to about 90, and he averaged 90 pretty much all of 2018. Um, they kind of had to pitch him out of the bullpen. He ended up having a secondary procedure. I mean, the dude has just been unbelievably snake bit. Um, he, you know, I mean, he had thyroid cancer, like right after the Tigers traded for him. Uh, what else happened? He fell doing box jumps and like fractured one of the the little processes that come off the back of your vertebra in in 2016, I believe that was. So it's just been kind of like this this litany of injuries with him. But he still has, you know, a really damn good slider, um, good changeup, pretty good bulldog mentality in there. And he's the guy who I'm looking forward to next next season because the Tigers shut him down and just had him pitch like two or three innings um, at a time in his starts in September just to sort of keep him in the mix without overworking him. And we started seeing the, the velocity finally starting to come back and tick up. And to lose that much velocity without an arm injury, and Daniel's never had any kind of arm trouble, um, it's just a really kind of weird thing. And we sort of saw that with um, Justin Berlander when he had his groin and core issues um, prior to the 2014 season. So I've been I've been holding the line here. And part of it, I mean, I kind of love Daniel Norris. Like, it's the d- dude who in the offseason is out with all these nature photographers and surfers um, who, you know, film things for National Geographic. Like, all these people I follow on Instagram. Like, Daniel Norris knows these people. And that's, that's who he hangs out with in the offseason driving his VW bus across the country. Um, I think I kind of want his life, his lifestyle. I mean, he's kind of my spirit animal. So I, I root for him maybe more than I normally would, but, uh, but it was great to see him kind of come back and, and just, you know, just, just be healthy, stay off the IL and put up league average numbers. And he's another guy who I, I could see coming out next season, you know, having a little bit more on the fastball um, after a, an off season where he finally doesn't have to rehab anything and can just work on his strength and flexibility um, I can see him getting a little of that velocity back, and he's really had to struggle to learn how to pitch with, you know, a ninety mile per hour fastball over the past two seasons, and kind of had figured out, you know, how to make it work with command, uh, mixing his stuff up, and all that. So if he could get that little bit of velocity back, I'm still holding out some hope that um, the best is yet to come for Daniel as well. And like I said, he's only 26. Um, there could be a long way to go. He just he was brought up really early by the the Blue Jays. Um, traded to us, and we basically worked him kind of right from the beginning. So, yeah, as far as the rotation goes, at least there are a few guys who are who are worthy of of a look next season. I'm not gonna lie to you; I wasn't expecting Daniel Norris as my spirit animal to be. Uh, Norris is my animal, man. You, you gotta you gotta start following Daniel Norris on Instagram. He'll be your spirit animal. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm more into like the bland pitchers that are like Mackenzie Gore over here. Speaking of Mackenzie Gore, let's talk about the second best pitching prospect in all of baseball. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. You okay with that? <laughs> I, Mackenzie Gore is a beast, man. I, I'm on board with the Mackenzie Gore takes for oh, sure. Man, he's my like. It's it's like everybody has a prospect crush, right? Callis and I yeah. did a did a a podcast uh, for our EVT stuff, and it was literally just like. 
20 minutes of me and Callus just like gushing over gore. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You had Jim Callis on? Oh, that's a good get. Oh, yeah. That's, he was he was awesome, man. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about Casey Mize. We talked about Casey last year to where it feels, you know, you told, I think you told me last year that you thought that Matt Manning was going to wind up passing him up. Do you think that that happened this year? And is that at fault of Mize or is that more of Manning's just push forward? I don't think he passed him necessarily. Um, but I do think it, it became pretty clear to a lot of people that it, that it's much more of like a 1A, 1B type situation. That I think maybe that's they the thought. phrase you used last year too, actually. Yeah, I, I think that all kind of came to fruition. Like, I mean, Casey Mize looked really good. Um, I A lot of my concerns with Casey Mize have always been more that he's so close to, to major league ready as he, as he is that I'm just not sure that the Tigers are the team that can really like leverage him the best. Like he's almost a guy you would think that the Tigers would, would pitch for two seasons and then probably end up trading away for a piece to really start, you know, the rebuild going. Um, I mean, I've had some issues with Casey Mize just because I don't, I don't trust the durability and that's, that's perfectly normal for almost all pitching prospects. But there are some guys who I do, and and I I I have a lot more faith that Manning is gonna is, is gonna be the if if one of them is gonna be the guy who throws 200 innings every year and just eats everybody up you know consistently and becomes like a legit ace type it's it's gonna be Matt Manning um, I you know Casey Mize is the type of guy who I um, I could see being like a 150 160 inning guy who you know ha- has a IL stint once or twice almost every year for a little bit of shoulder soreness, uh, but maybe doesn't have anything serious for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, of the two, yeah, I'm still I'm still pretty definitively on Matt Manning's side. I like Casey Mize. Um, I I didn't want to necessarily take him. Like I was okay with it, but with the Tigers having as much pitching as they do, I was more partial to like a Joey Bart or a Nick Madrigal type play at that point. Um, and trying to save a little bit of money and maybe going for someone harder in the second round. Um, they took him, you know, the stuff looked good. He, you know, debuted at double a with a no hitter, which was, which was pretty good. Yeah. He's, he's a weird guy to watch at, at the double a level because he's not necessarily generating that many whiffs. Um, and, and he, he seemed to kind of struggle with the splitter a little bit this year, which is really when he has the splitter going, um, you you can kind of see like the the best of Casey Mize and why he was the number one overall pick because at that point like for double A hitters like it's it's just hilarious you know I mean there's some there's some really bad swings like swings you know that the pitching ninja wouldn't even you know feel you know like he could put out on a public website you know <laughs> they're, they're that gr- grotesque so uh, he's you know he was good this year it's just that once again you know he had the same kind of problem as junior year where he got past you know, a hundred innings and all of a sudden eh, the command wasn't quite so good. And then it was a little bit of shoulder trouble and he took a couple of weeks off and he came back and he was still just kind of sloppy. So yeah, you know, he could probably pitch in the major leagues right now. He just doesn't give me the impression of a guy who's going to, with his, with his delivery, with his, his injury history, he doesn't give me the impression of a guy who's going to, you know, be a, like a big time innings eater who, you know, develops a whole lot further. I, I kind of look at him as like a, you know, maybe in like a year, like almost a number two starter type who is probably ready to go and probably should be playing for a good team. Cause I, he's just, he's hard to project as a guy who's going to be, you know, pitching when he's like 34, 35 and still throwing, you know, 93, 95 and eating a, a ton of innings. I, I just don't see that part, you know, that 
it really in the cards. And it's not really in the cards for most guys. Um, so, that, you know, that I can understand that, that that doesn't sound like um, that much of a criticism. It's just that for a team that is so far from winning, um, he was almost like a win now type of pick. He's like the guy the Tigers would have dreamed of getting in 2011, 2012 and slotting right into the bullpen and then moving him into the rotation like a year later. Uh, he he kind of fits that sort of mold better. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, One thing that happened last offseason is that there were a couple interviews with him where he talked about um, training at his agent's camp. And he's another guy who really seems like really fluent in analytics and pitch design and, you know, was really, really down to like, you know, work on his slider last offseason and really kind of redesigned it. Um, change some of his training, all that kind of stuff. So there, there's a lot of intangible qualities with Casey Mize that I think are really good as well. And we'll just kind of have to see how it all plays out. But, but yeah, in the long run, I'm, I'm still, you know, Manning's a little bit more of the, the volatile side of the, of the equation as far as like how he's going to eventually finish up um, as he approaches the majors. But I, I just feel like, yeah, of the two, I'd, I'd bet more on Manning long term. Uh, where does Scooball fit into this mix? You know, we just talked about basically Manning and Mize, but where do you find that Scooball winds up kind of fitting in this equation? Probably not this year and maybe at the end of next year, but you know, how do you, how does he profile out? Yeah, he's, I mean, he looked, he was incredible this year. I mean, it really was kind of a revelation. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he was putting up like, he was striking out like 45% of of the hitters or more he, that he faced at, at Erie. Um, it was it was pretty pretty overpowering stuff. I mean, he's got an incredibly good fastball. I mean, there's a lot of deception in, in his delivery. He's kind of thrown from a high arm slot. He's kind of got like that, um, kind of like a Josh Hader sort of fastball, basically. Um, the breaking ball, I think, lags a little bit behind, and we'll just have to. I need to see him a little bit more because he wasn't a double A that long, and a lot of what I saw was that the you know, the breaking ball and the changeup played so well because the fastball was just way too much for those guys. Um, but, you know, I, I think the issue with him is that, you know, he is a Tommy John guy already. Um, I think he had Tommy John surgery his sophomore year, um, which is why the Tigers were able to get him where they where they did. You know, I think it was, what, the ninth round last year. And I think we all kind of liked it. We all liked that pick, and I kind of thought, like, yeah, this guy could be, you know, a really dominant reliever, maybe even like a two, two innings, you know, type guy, like the guy who bridges you to your closer, um, something like that. But he was really durable this year, and you know, the 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 stuff was pretty undeniably good. So, yeah, we'll just have to kind of see. Really, all I want, really all I'm kind of reticent about is is how durable he's going to be. Um, it's a fairly high effort delivery, you know. We'll just, we'll just kind of have to play it by ear. But right now, yeah, he's like right. I mean, he jumped so much this year that he's really kind of right behind uh, Mize and Manning and looked really pretty close to Major League Ready. Um, his command is better than Manning's. Um, it's not better than Mize's, but um, he was just pounding people with that fastball and dropping sliders and, and curveballs on the edges um, for the final three months of the season. He's one of those guys, because I, I read a lot about the minor leagues, but I don't get to that many games other than at Toledo. So... When guys are in the Florida State League, you know, there just isn't much TV coverage. You can't watch that much of it on um, minor league TV. And he sort of was in the void there for a while. So I, I kind of just I just want to see him more. But 
I mean, he really did vault his way all the way up to where, you know, it's really only Mize Manning and Riley Green, I think, at this point that I would that I would put above him. Um, it, w- it was damn impressive and and really much needed for the Tigers to have someone break out like that and, and look that good. It's just a question of whether he's kind of more of a bullpen weapon type guy or whether he's going to be able to go out there and, you know, throw 175 innings and, and be that good. Because it was damn good, though, when I saw him, for sure. you got to be thrilled to get a top 100 guy already in the ninth round of last year's draft, though. Yeah. Thanks, Scott Boris. <laughs> Apparently, one of the weird things about that was that, you know, we kind of, on the site, we're always having this debate about the front office. And there's a lot of people who just, you know, don't want to process, you know, that maybe the front office is terrible because, you know, then what do you do? <laughs> And, um, you know, they kind of kept throwing him, you know, back at us. Well, they found, you know, Tarek Skubal. Look how good this is going this year. And then that article came out where it was all, you know, Scott Boris um, called the Tigers in mid-draft, like when they were in like the sixth or seventh round. and was like, hey, what about my my boy Tarek Skubal here? And like, nobody's taking him yet. This guy's amazing. You guys should look into it. And I guess they kind of checked him out and were like, yeah, all right. And they took him. And uh, so, yeah, we were throwing that all back in their faces like, oh, yeah, yeah. Great front office as long as Scott Boris is doing your scouting for you. <laughs> But he was right. I'll give him that. Good job, Scott Boris. Thank you. We needed that. <laughs> Thank you, Scott Boris. Nobody's ever said that before. Nope. That's, <laughs> that's other not than a player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, you know, to, to go, I guess, the you know, to finish kind of the, the cycle here, Um, you know, Matt Manning just had, a, you know, just a fantastic year. Like, it was, it just seems to come so easy to him, like, the you know, the, the fastball and even like the development of his command. Uh, he's, he cleaned up his delivery in 2018 quite a bit. And there were, there were, he was a really raw prospect. I mean, I don't know if, if you guys were paying much attention to him when he got drafted, but he'd only pitched like two years in high school. He was a basketball player, had a scholarship to to Loyola um, as a guard. He's 6'6 or something like that. He's massive. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's 6'6. He's six, six, and that's the thing. Like, everyone wants these really tall pitchers, but then there, there's also sort of the trope about like all oh, these tall, slender pitchers, like they never find their command, which you know, it's kind of nonsense. Like everybody wants six, five, six, six pitchers. Like, you know, Justin Verlander's out there, Garrett Cole, like, I, you know, we can go on and on with the examples of, of how that's sort of the prototype of the, the modern power pitcher. But um, yeah, Matt Manning, you know, he looked raw. They, they did a lot with his delivery the first year. And there were just a lot of like, he, he didn't, he looked like a pitcher by the end of 2017, like his first full season, but there was still some elements where he didn't really look like a baseball player. Um, just in terms of like his ability to like hold runners, his fielding, sort of his, his general awareness, um, his ability to kind of move between the stretch and the windup, um, all that stuff really came together in, in just, just a huge way in 2018. And he didn't really take a big step forward this year. Um, he just sort of like entrenched those gains that he'd made. Um, the first half of the season um, had the had the changeup and the curveball both going really well, and he and he just looked unbelievable. Um, he kind of faded a little bit, I thought, in the second half with the secondary pitches a little bit. Um, there, there was a, he pitched an inning in the MLB Futures game that was sort of a microcosm of how it goes for him, where like he didn't have the secondary pitches and couldn't quite land them, and against the you know some of the better hitters in the minor leagues. It wasn't like anybody was really teeing off on him necessarily, but there was just he just could not blow people away with the fastball at that, you know, when when it was that level. And when he didn't have the secondary stuff, you know, it was a bit of a struggle for him. Um, So, you know, there's still work to do. But, you know, he's 21. He's he's a young 21 as far as a pitcher goes. And, yeah, I just continue to be really excited for him because the the athleticism is just so strong for a guy that size like. 
his uh, his agility off the mound um, is is really fantastic. You see him like pick things up when when they're working on something generally pretty quickly. Um, I still kind of feel like he's got to add. He's basically you know fastball changeup, which is sort of like a split change, and and a really pretty good hammer curveball right now. But I still kind of feel like um, there's got to be like a cutter or a or a slider in the offing to really kind of round that whole thing out. Or his command just just notches up a whole nother level, and it, and it won't matter. Um, he could definitely he could pitch in the major leagues right now too. Um, as a reliever, could probably be all right. The command was um, has has just kind of been really like steadily increasing um, as far as like locating the fastball all around the zone, being able to change speeds and move up and down in the zone with it. Uh, he's he's really fun to watch pitch, and yeah, he's he's that's my guy right there. I'm the uh, official bandwagon conductor of the Matt Lanning bandwagon. And I would have him above Casey Mize, yeah, on, on my prospect list. We we argue about this fairly regularly at Bless You Boys, but yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not giving in on that. <laughs> He's our number one prospect, as far as I'm concerned. How do you feel about Joey Wentz? I've read a lot of stuff, uh, high praise for him. Yeah, you know, I like Joey Wentz. I actually thought that was a really good get. Um, but, you know, when that trade went down, a lot of a lot of national prospect writers seemed to be like, ah, eh, Joey Wentz. Like, yeah, you know, he was a guy like a year ago, but has sort of faded, but I don't know. I, I liked, I like Joey Wentz. Um, the Tigers have a couple guys and Tarek Skubal fits in this too. Um, the, these kind of like high arm slot lefties who throw that really like straight four seamer with a lot of like, it's not necessarily like spin rate necessarily. Like I think Tarek Skubal spin rate was pretty good. I'm not really sure what Joey Wentz's was, but it's all, it's all backspin. It's all riding action. And he's got some good deception. Um, from when we saw him, the command was really good. The changeup was really good. Uh, his breaking ball is still pretty, pretty mediocre. Like you'd probably put a 45 on it most of the time. Uh, but even that was really effective because he, he again was like someone who would look like he had a lot of pitchability and was, you know, changing speeds, moving to both sides of the plate, hitting his spots a lot. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty, pretty pleased with him. And another, he's another one who's, you know, I mean, he's six five, two fifty, and I think he's only 21 years old. So he, he had a few injuries last season and that I think maybe that's kind of stunted the velocity development. He's more like 92, 93. I still think there's a chance he's going to, he's going to tick up to be a 95, 96 type guy. And I don't know if the breaking ball will ever really come, come along to be a plus pitch, but he looks like a guy who should be able to be like a, a four or five starter for me. So, you know, for Shane Green, that was that was pretty good. Shane Green's a good reliever, but not a dominant one. Does everybody just go to Erie and just dominate? Because I feel like that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they really did this year. I, you know, th- I wish I could remember who wrote it, but there was an article about like, is the pitching good at in the Eastern League this year, or do the hitters suck? Um, it's the exact opposite of the Texas League. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it was I think it was the pitch. I mean, that eerie rotation was pretty stupid um, when they were going good. Yeah. Watching like Mize, Manning, Fajardo, Scooble um, with a little bit of like Anthony Castro or, you know, whoever else mixed in there. Yeah, it was it was, it was pretty nasty. Um, you know, the eerie Seawolves really only had Isaac Paredes as far as like hitters go. And they were pretty close to making the postseason. And it was all just because that that starting pitching was just bananas good. So that's that's kind of where we got it going for us. And it's just all about like, you know, these guys are going to show up probably in the next year. You know, we should see a lot of these guys next season and, you know, kind of hopefully setting settling in in 2021. And it's like, 
yeah, right about then, <laughs> we we need to have some bats going. And, you know, yeah. really, it's like, yeah, Isaac Paredes will be there by then. But Riley Green, unless, you know, he has like a huge breakout, is probably still going to be, you know, at the double A level, um, if that. So the timing of all this is another thing that just isn't, you know, it, it's hard to do, but it's just not coming together very well. And that's all because the Tigers really, really failed with a lot of the trades. Um, you know, everybody gets a draft every year. It's nice to pick high, but, you know, even in football, having the number one pick doesn't guarantee you anything. And in baseball, it's like a completely other thing. And so, yeah. So, you know, I mean, just, you know, we haven't gotten any extra picks. The Arizona Diamondbacks Holy did a great shit, job. Man. Like, that was wild. Picks. Yeah. Yeah, we would love to see Alavila do some do some things to get uh, to get a whole bunch of picks and and get a bunch of these guys all coming kind of on a similar time frame. But uh, uh, they haven't really shown much propensity for creativity or or trading in general. Um, so, you know, the Wentz trade was okay. The trade that they got Isaac Paredes, um, you know, and and Jamer Candelario was good. But other than that, I mean, it's it's been pretty garbage. So. Yeah, you know, the, the timing on all this is is the trick. And that's where you get into, okay, we're gonna trade Boyd and then maybe we're gonna trade Fulmer or Norris um for the for the bats that we need. But then you're entirely depending on your farm to produce all these guys. And I don't care if you have, you know, eight <laughs> top one hundred pitching prospects. Like the odds are still very good that you're only gonna get four of those guys to be solid major leaguers. And even then it might take them a couple years to to settle in. So yeah, I mean that that that's why this is so hard right now is that if if you know if instead of Mize Manning, Scooble, those guys were hitters, like we'd all feel different. Like, oh, maybe we can find a you know a cheap you know pitcher and and fix them up or bring all these you know guys to these fly ball pitchers to Comerica who are you know getting shelled in other places and find a couple of them who can just keep the ball in the park enough. You put a fast, speedy defense out there in center field, like. You know, you start like in your head, you can start team building a way to make some of this work. But um, but yeah, bringing up all the pitchers at once when you don't really have the bats yet, you know, it's it's still just a very long way away unless there's um, some some big things happening over the next year. You're just wasting service time at that point. Yeah, I mean, and to some degree, that's okay because pitchers, you know, it's just the way it goes. Like when you bring a pitcher up to the major leagues, you know, we've seen it with like Julio Urias or. We haven't seen it with Walker Bueller, but, uh, but you know, Chris Paddock, like there's usually some injuries. There's usually some, you know, some figuring it out, some rough stretches. Um, it, it's less likely, I think, that you're going to get like a Juan Soto type pitching prospect, because even the, the best guys usually struggle, you know, a little bit for a while. Walker Bueller being the exception, who just looks like a complete stud already. So, Can we yeah. Skip so, the Is there? I mean, you pretty much can, you know, I mean, it's like. Joe Jimenez, Buck Farmer, those guys are okay. Um, if one of them could take a step forward, that that's a good relief chip to, to trade next season. But other than that, yeah, you know, we picked up a guy, David McKay, um, on waivers from Seattle. He's got like a 3,000 RPM curveball, um, throws 94, 95. And yeah, I mean, it's it's good stuff. But the thing I'm noticing is that I, it, that stuff kind of used to, you know, pop my eyes out of my head. But the, man, everybody throws 95. <laughs> For real, though, it's wild. For a reliever. So, you know, he's another guy who, like, if he could put it together and and find the command, the stuff is really, really pretty eye-poppingly good. But, um, but yeah, there's there's also just a lot of, you know, that guy's never going to make it. You know, like, <laughs> I sat here and watched Andres Munoz throw 103, 103, Ooh. and then paint a backdoor slider, and I was just like, yep, uh, anybody that throws 90, good luck now. Yeah, yep. But there's, you know, but then there's still some out there. But, man, you got to have some... 
you got to have some serious you gotta game. Be able to paint. You gotta, yeah, and you got to have some deception. You got to be able to change speeds, etc. So, it. I mean, it is nice that some guys can still make that work, and that's why you know we started out. Um, before, I think it was before we got on the air talking about Zach Greinke, and that's why you know Zach Greinke and Annabelle Sanchez and guys like that, um, Kyle Hendricks, you know, get so much you know acclaim is because it's it's just really hard to pitch that way. And it takes like a guy with, you know, pretty stupid precision to make that sort of thing work. So yeah, you better, uh, you better be able to bring it you know, 95 or, or close or, uh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> it's, it's tough. I mean, we've pretty much covered everything. I kind of want to go over the draft a little bit before we close things down. Sure. Uh, how did you feel overall about this draft? And, you know, we, we talked about it before, obviously nine guys, that were in college, only one, uh, nine guys in the first 10 rounds that were, were in college, only one high schooler, but that one high schooler is Riley Green. You know, how did you feel about taking Riley Green at number five, and what was the kind of the fan reaction to this? Um, I think, in general, people really liked Riley Green and were, and were pretty pretty stoked about him, and I don't know, you know, if you guys read back in the spring, it was sort of like, like, the one knock on Riley Green is that, was that, you know, maybe the defense wasn't that good, he didn't really have the speed, you know, to, to play center field, he was probably a guy who's going to have to move to the corner, all that kind of thing, but everybody, you know, everybody likes the bat, everybody expects him to hit, um, and right from the start, like, you know, he went to the Gulf Coast League, and I think homered in his first two games and they were like tape measure just missiles um and he basically did the same thing at connecticut in the new york Penn league the you know like short season a ball so the you know the bat you know impressed but the other thing that happened is that he went to west michigan and just started making highlight real um plays in center field all over the place and i don't know it was pretty clear to a lot of us that some of the early kind of write-ups on on riley green you know, pre-draft, like back last, you know, January, February, just, just hadn't taken into account that he'd really kind of like already heard all those rumors and really put in a lot of work. And he was faster than, um, than people anticipated and a lot better defender. So overall, that was all pretty great. You know, I, I had kind of wanted JJ Blade, um, mainly because of those concerns about Riley Green, like maybe, maybe he's just kind of going to be a slow corner outfielder um, when he fills out. But um, yeah, he put those concerns on the back burner, and so overall, yeah, I'm I'm really happy. Um, would have loved for uh, Adley Rushman to fall, but that wasn't going to happen. So <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Riley Green, um, we're we're pretty stoked about. I think um, as far as picks go, that was the good one. Um, the the overall, yeah, I mean, there were some picks, you know, that I liked, but overall, it was a little bit disconcerting that it was such a a seemingly safe draft um, to not really take any prep players um, in the top 10 rounds and, and kind of take a swing on any of those guys. You know, there, there are some guys I liked, like, you know, we talked about Bryant Packard, like maybe having a shot at, at being a power hitting first baseman, um, Cooper Johnson, you know, a decent catching prospect, like looks like he has work to do behind the plate, um, even for a guy who just got drafted. But um, has some bat to ball skills, like a little bit and some power and like, okay, that's all right. You know, that, that, that pick was okay. Um, I liked Lipschitz. Okay. I liked Quintana. Okay. But overall, yeah, the philosophy, um, yeah, that, that was kind of problematic. Um, not just for me, but I know a lot of people were sort of like, you know, why, why are we being safe right now? Like, why aren't we, you know, just swinging for the fences with, a, with, with as many picks as possible because, you know, we're, we're a long way away you're you're very unlikely to draft a star in the fifth or sixth round out of college. So, yeah, I mean, 
that, that's kind of a problem. Hopefully they, they, they found a few guys who were values, but, um, but I don't really have a whole lot of confidence that anybody outside of Raleigh green is really ever going to be an, an impact player. Um, the 2018 draft was, was pretty good, but this one felt like sort of the beginning or the middle ground between 2018 and 2017, which was just like a mess of a draft where they took Fido first. They overpaid a guy in the second round out of Juco as a first baseman, Ray Rivera, who has just looked awful, has never done anything. <laughs> so yeah, that whole draft was kind of a mess. So this, I mean, this kind of felt like going back to safe mode a little bit and yeah, I mean, there's, there isn't really any reason for them to be in safe mode. So you know, I'm not the draft expert on the site. I, I pay a lot of attention. There's a couple other guys who know, I would say, more than I do. So maybe some of these guys will will have a little bit more of a shot than I'm giving them. Um, Zach Hess, who we took in the, I think the seventh round. Another looks big like guy, he, by the way. Yeah, really, um, really nice looking fastball, like like a, like a really big time riding fastball and a decent breaking ball. I think he was LSU's closer. I think he was their um, he was their uh, weekend pitcher. Oh, was he? Yeah. So he was starting there. Okay. And then and we got converted. tattooed in Austin. That's the only reason I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not promising. <laughs> but, but I did see him. Uh, I saw him pitch uh, a couple games and, and he looked promising um, as a relief candidate at least too. So, you know, there's, there's some decent guys there, but yeah, outside of green, I didn't really see anybody who had like, you know, that distant twinkle of like, Hey, maybe this guy could, you know, could put it all together and, and have this this high ceiling that we're not anticipating. I didn't really see too many guys who who seem to fit that mold. Maybe maybe Lipschitz if everything just kind of you know comes together out of nowhere. But that's a lot of just wild hope and speculation on on my part because I I just tend to favor like hardworking you know smart players as long as they're not like unskilled. I just tend to like want to give those guys a little bit of time to see if you know they can they can develop themselves a little bit. And a lot of that is still just like lack of confidence in the Tigers' ability to develop people. All right, so uh, to close it out, give us some bold predictions for the 2020 season for the Tigers. Oh, God. Okay. Are um, they in the same seat? Are we in the same seat next year that we are this year to where the Tigers have another number one overall pick? I think there is a pretty good chance that that happens, gentlemen. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Like, I, I would be surprised if we, if we were eh, – picking lower than third um, in 2021. Um, and that's, you know, all kinds of things can happen, but, and there, the, the Tigers do have some guys who could break out. There, there are some things that could happen. Maybe they'll be more aggressive this off season than I think. Um, they cut the roster to 33 um, heading into the off season. And, and really there's only like one or two guys that they're probably going to protect. So maybe they're going to be more aggressive than in free agency than, than I think. Um, they've sort of had a habit the past couple of years of like jumping the gun and, and signing a position of need like early, like they did that with Jordy Mercer last year. And then as it turned out, there were better players available, like in, you know, mid February and the Tigers have under Al Avila have consistently been behind the curve on a lot of these, these things. Um, you know, we could have taken Freddie Galvis and, and signed him for less than they signed Jordy Mercer for, you know, and they signed Jordy Mercer, I think like right after the winter meetings. Um, so I would like them to just be patient and wait and see what values kind of come out. Um, I do think they need to find themselves a catcher who can kind of mentor Rogers and Griner and, and play half the time. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for them to do that. Um, but it's just hard to see too much of an impact coming anywhere that would really propel them, you know, out of, out of the gutter in the AL central. 
I mean, the Kansas City Royals look honestly to me like just just a god awful wasteland as well, um, yes. despite having a couple talented players. So, I, you know, I do have to Bobby keep in mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you do have to keep in mind just how bad, you know, some other teams are. And it can be be easy to sort of fall in your own rut and just be like, God, we're terrible. Like, all these other teams have all these good prospects, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if um, if we were, were picking outside of the, of the top three next year. Uh, um, as far as predictions go, I will say that you will see Casey Mize and Matt Manning both pitch in the major leagues next season. You will see Isaac Paredes in the major leagues next season. Um I think you will see Ron Gardenhire fired at the end of next season. I think uh, that, that'll be kind of the end. Uh, Daniel Norris posts a plus three war season and has his velocity back to like 93, 94, throwing a nasty slider and suddenly looks like the guy that we got from the Blue Jays again. I'll throw that out. I'll just throw the, the boldest of the bold predictions out here and say uh-huh. that after the 2020 season, the Detroit Tigers will be sold to a new owner. Mm. I, I just feel it. I just don't see like they're so flatlined. There's so little urgency in this in this organization the past two years. Um, even as a rebuilding team, you know, people keep trying to make these Astros comparisons. Like, you know, the Astros and the Cubs like had plans like from the beginning. Like they, they were like a legit couple- plan. There's a whole book yeah. on it. Come on. Yeah, go read the book. I've told people that so many times. Like the Cubs, man, they wanted Anthony Rizzo right away. They knew they were going to build around him. They went and traded for him. They didn't care what it took, you know. Yeah, so, and it's not like, you know, those teams started out with, with you know, deep farm systems. Um, but they were also in a time when you could trade for more. And while the Tigers are have, have been pretty bad about trading players for prospects, it's it's also just gotten a lot harder. Um, you know, we keep going back to that Justin Berlander deal and how they may come out of that without really – anything other than like a backup catcher. Um, but that also goes to the Dodgers and the, and the Yankees who, you know, cost themselves a world series because they didn't want to give up, you know, one good player. Um, maybe that one good player was Glaber Torres or Walker Bueller. So you can, you can take your, you know, your pick of whether or not that would have been worth it or not. But, um, you know, it, it takes two to tango. And in that particular case, I don't know that anybody really valued Justin Verlander properly. Um, as far as JD Martinez, I think the Tigers just, absolutely just booted that by by jumping the gun um and trading him too soon and then we watched him go to arizona and hit like 30 home runs in two months <laughs> so i got nothing back so yeah i mean there's just a lot of reasons where i you know i don't think this front office has done well really at anything and i don't see any pressure from the the ownership to do any more than that maybe this offseason will tell us tell us more but you know I, i'm basically looking at the next year like this next cycle like this offseason the next draft the next trade deadline and if they haven't found like a couple of of impact bats at the major league level and the minor leagues like some combination um i, I really could see us just being in in sort of a vortex of suck for a long time to come where we're a team that pitches pretty well and plays scrappy like twins bullshit baseball on the field <laughs> and, that, and that's you know and and wins you know 81 games every year like that that might be the high uh it's really hard to see us getting beyond that the way things are right now so yeah there's a there's a big prediction for you uh, it just feels like the illiches are are on their way out 